All right. I think so. Is that going? You good? Yeah, well, it's, it's really great to be with you. As Jonathan th- said, uh, my name is Jeff, and I am a pastor. Yeah, you may know my name is Jeff. Uh, my name is Jeff, and I'm a pastor in El Paso. Um, my last name is White, which makes me stick out even more in El Paso, if you know the demographics of El Paso. And um, yeah, so my, I have two children. A daughter who's two and a half, and a son who's 11 months old. And uh, my daughter uh, loves reading books, and currently uh, her favorite book that she loves to read is a book called I Am Latina, Can You Sense the Beauty? And uh, she is very, very white. (laughs) So, blonde hair, blue eyes. Anyways, um, I'm so glad to be with you, and... uh, if any of you do next year know people, if you're from El Paso, you know people who are from El Paso, you have friends there, um, I would love to get in contact with you guys in the future about starting RUF. So we're, I'm excited for that. But now we're going to be looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 2, as you see here. Um, and I think we're going to be talking about the foundation of peacemaking. Um, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Um, and we're going to read this passage then, Ephesians chapter 2. You'll find it on your, your uh, bulletin. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through Him, Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, here's the point, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When I was uh, 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 in seminary, um, my, we had this situation with my, my wife and I where we were sinned against by some other seminarians, by some other Christians. And uh, they had taken advantage of us. And it hurt really bad. In fact, my wife got so angry that she cried tears of anger out of her face. I mean, I've never seen her so angry before. Part of it might have been the fact that she was uh, pregnant and had some pregnancy hormones. 
But, uh, but she was so angry. And she said, I cannot believe it because they were Christians. And if you're a Christian, uh, and an other Christian takes advantage of you or sins against you, this is sometimes how, how we feel. It is that point where we get so angry. Where you, somebody that you know, a friend uh, who is also a Christian, and if they sin against you, it makes us very angry. And sometimes it can be so difficult to want to pursue peace with people, especially Christians who have sinned against us. And even if you're not a Christian, you've been sinned against by a Christian, you may be very angry about that, understandably so. So we're, we're going to be looking at what is the foundation then of how do we actually make peace when it's so hard to make peace with other people? And the foundation of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ can be described in three words. It is this, that we can be adopted through propitiation. It is that you and I can be made God's children, we can become God's children, through what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross and rising again. That this is the good news, and this is the foundation for our peacemaking, that we become children of God. Now the question you may be asking about that is, Um, a good question, which is, aren't we all, in a sense, God's children? And we can say yes, that is true in a sense. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis is a a theologian, was a Christian theologian, and he said this about it. He said, the point in Christianity which gives us the greatest shock is the statement that by attaching ourselves to Jesus, we can become sons and daughters of God. One might ask, well, aren't we all sons of God already? Surely the fatherhood of God is one of the main Christian ideas. Well, in a certain sense, no doubt, we are all children of God already. I mean, God did bring us into existence, and He looks after us, and in that way, He is like a father. But you see, when the Bible talks of our becoming sons and daughters of God, it is talking about something different. It's talking about not just that God is our Creator, that He is the supreme being who created all things, but rather that he is known to us as a personal God, as a personal father. This is what it means to have to be a child of God. And the hard thing to realize is that the way the Bible talks about it is that we are not actually born in this kind of a relationship with God. So in that sense, we're not born as God's children in the way of knowing him as a personal father. In fact, the way the Bible talks about it, us here is that we are actually enemies of God, every single one of us. If you notice when we were reading this passage, it, it mentioned the word hostility. This hostility, and this is the description of all people uh, in our relationship with God, is this idea of hostility. It goes back to earlier in, in Ephesians chapter 2 which says this, that we were uh, born dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were, uh, which we once walked, that we followed the course of the world, that we followed the prince of the power of the air, that we uh, were sons and daughters of disobedience, among whom we all once lived this way. And so what the startling thing about the way the Bible describes all of us, the way we are all uh, born into this world, is that we are all actually enemies of God. We are born this way. It is part of our nature that when we are, we are born with a nature that doesn't want God, that creates 
idols in the place of God that says that that breaks the very first commandment of God that says that, that you shall have no other gods. And we say we, in a way, are would like to be God. But it's also something that is nurtured in the world around us. So it's nature and nurture. That we are nurtured through the way society works to, to want to oftentimes put ourselves first. That we follow these things is the way that the Bible talks about it. To totally misquote somebody that's really famous in a song, um, the way the Bible would talk about it is to say, look, oh, there ain't no other way. Baby, I was born this way. <laughs> and this is the way the scripture talks about it. Is that we were actually um, born by nature and in nurture, enemies of God. But one of the things that we oftentimes think is, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. I mean, not me. I would say, I, I don't want to say, not my children. This isn't the way my children would be. It doesn't seem right. Except for when my, my two-and-a-half-year-old gets up in the middle of the night and doesn't go back to bed, then I want to call her, you are a child of disobedience. <laughs> but otherwise, we, we think, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but it is. It's, it's, the way the Bible talks about this in this passage is that it's a totally, it's a universally inherited trait that we all have in common. And not only that, it's something that, uh, that we have received from our parents, 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 parents back, all the way to the beginning of humanity. And then not only that, it's that uh, our first parents were our perfect representatives over us and that we're guilty in them. And um, some of you guys may play fantasy football. And in fantasy football, you pick different um, players. And what happens when they win? You say, we won. We win. See, our first parents were the best representatives. They're, in a sense, the ones that we would have always picked. And they, uh, in them, we become sinners as well. And they're the perfectly representing us. We, we would have picked what they picked and so this is the way it talks about us. And this is bad news, but there's something good, good to know about it in that. That it's from our nature and it's our nurture that we are enemies of God. It's this. Imagine if you were, uh, you're a five foot six, fully grown adult male, and you want to go into the NFL. And you want to try, and you want to try, and you want to try. Are you ever going to make it? No! You're not. You can, you can think positively. You can try really hard. You can do all these things. But what's going to happen? You're going to be totally set up for failure. And the way the Bible is talking about it here is that this is us spiritually. That if we, if we try to make ourselves better by a spirituality of positive thinking or trying really hard, we're not going to make our relationship with God better by ourselves. And so the good news is that you can stop trying to make yourself better. You can stop trying to think positively about things because it's going to leave you disappointed. And so what we need to know is to recognize uh, our situation. And your situation is this. It says, if you look at verse 12, is to remember. Remember your situation. It says this, remember that you were at one time if you're a Christian, you were at one time separated from Christ who, is your best, who could be your best friend, your brother. That you were separated from Him. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That is the, the family of God. And that you were strangers to the covenants. All of God's promises at this point says were not for you. And this is the kicker. It says that you had no hope and you were without God in the world. And 
this is part of faith, is to recognize that you can't do it by yourself. That you have no hope apart from Christ. And so this is the point at which we recognize, okay, I am an enemy of God and I can't by myself make myself better. I can't make myself better. And so we recognize then that how does peace with God come if we're enemies? Peace with God comes this way, that we can be adopted into God's family through Christ. Through Christ's sacrifice, we can become God's beloved children. You see, Christ represents us. He is the one who died for you. He covers your sins. He wipes them away on the cross. And He starts to change. He changes your nature so you start to have new desires. And so that when God, when you trust in God, when He looks at Christ, he, when He looks at you, if you trust in Him, He looks at Christ and He says of Christ that Christ, you are my beloved child and I am well pleased with you. And this is what, if you trust in Christ, you become a child of God and God looks at you in your life circumstances and He says, you are my beloved child and I love you and I am pleased with you. This is, uh, in a sense, the hope. This is the, where peace with God comes from. If you look at this passage, it talks about having peace, peace coming through Christ. It talks about having a new nature in verse 15, that we, we start to have new desires in our life. Verse 16, it's being reconciled. When two parties are at enmity, you are reconciled. That we're reconciled. And this is what the cross does. The cross is where all of your hostility, all of my hostility to God was placed upon Christ. So that He has no more hostility towards you, but only love. And He says of you, you are my child. I am so pleased with you. And this is peace with God. You don't have to try. You don't have to work for it. And the high point of it, if you look at here, the high point of this is in verse 18. And it says this, if you look at it, verse 18, it says, for through Christ, we, Jew and Gentile, all types of people, we have access in one Holy Spirit to the Father. We have one access to the Father. This is the high point of, of Christian faith. This is the high point of peace with God. It's that you have direct access to God as a personal, loving Father through Christ. This is the high point. Um, this is what we believe as uh, in Re- Reform University Fellowship, that you can be completely accepted by, by God as His child and you have access to Him all the time through Christ. You see, because we are united to Christ, if you have faith in Him, you're united to Him, it means you have all the privileges. You have all the favor. You have all the favor. You have all the access to God the Father as Jesus Himself does. That's peace. That's the kind of peace with God that you have if you are a Christian. Direct access to Him. See, access, access is a privilege that you have because you're a son or a daughter. Um, I remember when I was in 
Elementary school, I had a friend who introduced me to Pop-Tarts. Blueberry Pop-Tarts, strawberry Pop-Tarts, cinnamon Pop-Tarts, just the mind-exploding flavor of Pop-Tarts were incredible. I'd never had them before. And whenever I would go to my friend's house, that he had Pop-Tarts, you know, the problem was that the Pop-Tarts were always put on their top shelf. And my friend, you know, if I wanted Pop-Tarts at my friend's house, you know, I couldn't just go into the top shelf and grab them myself. And so whenever I would go to his house, I always wanted a Pop-Tart. And this is what I would say to him. When I wanted a Pop-Tart, I'd say, hey, can you ask your mom or dad to get us a Pop-Tart snack? So they would go and ask, and we would get a Pop-Tart snack. You see, because my friend was a child in his household, he had access to his parents who could give him the beautiful blessings of (laughs) Pop-Tarts. You see, access is a privilege that you and I have because we are children. You see, as Christians, we have access to God the Father and all the great blessings of knowing Him because we are His children. This is a high jewel of Christian faith to know that you have access to God the Father and you have a peace, you have peace with Him even though we still struggle with sin. You have access to Him and all the great blessings that come with that. Sometimes uh, we think uh, in different traditions and different religious traditions that, that we think we need somebody else to help us have access to the Father. Sometimes we think that you need a pastor or a priest to have access to, to God the Father. And I'm, uh, I, I love pastors. I think we're great. But if you think, if you think that you need, to, you need a pastor or a priest or a friend or a saint or anybody else to provide access to the Father, you're acting like I was acting with my friend, asking him to his parents to get a Pop-Tart. And we're not acting like a child in that way. But you see, to act and know that you are a child is to know that you have direct access to God the Father, direct access through Jesus. It says right here, act, uh, for through Him, for through Jesus Christ, verse 18, we both have access to the Father. And that is peace. See, and to know this, to know that, can power your life as a Christian in, in prayer. Let's imagine you're talking to a, a prayer therapist. Uh, you could call him a prayerapist, or um, your campus minister, one of those things. And you're struggling with prayer, and, and they ask you, what, what's going on? You say, and they ask you this, what does it mean in your prayer life to be a son or a daughter of God? And you reply that it is this, it means you have complete access to your heavenly Father through Jesus, that you have true intimacy based not on how good you are, but on the goodness of Jesus. Not only that, that Jesus is your brother and you are a fellow heir with him. This is the basis that you can be strengthened in prayer in your relationship with God. It's to know that you have Christ as your brother with you and that you have directly access to him, not, not based on your goodness or anything else, and that he accepts you. Now, there's one thing you, you notice in here. This is, this is talking about the vertical element of our peace with God. And if we, through Christ, I become a son, 
you become a son or a daughter, what does that make us? You may know the movie uh, Good Burger. Uh, if you saw it, 1990s epic movie about uh, burgers between uh, Keenan and Cal, if you ever knew them, if you ever saw that movie, I don't know. Well, there's this uh, beginning song where Cal says this. He says, he sings in the shower. He says, I'm a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. Because we're all dudes. Hey, I'm a dude. She's a dude. He's a dude. Because we're all dudes. What am I saying? I'm saying, look. <laughs> you can say, we're all dudes. Look, if I'm a son in Christ, you're a son or daughter in Christ. We're all sons and daughters in Christ who trust in Him, which means that you and I are brothers and sisters. This is the very next verse, and verse 19 says this. We have access to Him. We're, we're children. I'm a child. Verse 19 then says, this is the implication. So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. Your family. Your family. And this is the foundation of peace, is to know that you are brothers and sisters and you can make peace with each other as Christians if you're Christians. And this is the point that Jesus makes. It's that, that you and I are brothers and sisters if we're in Christ. This is the foundation for making peace. He says oftentimes in, in the Gospels, in Matthew, multiple times when he's talking about conflict, he says this, look, if you are going to go worship, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your worship, leave your gifts before the altar and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Or Matthew 7, he says this, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Matthew 18, he says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them your, their fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother or sister. See, Jesus, when he's talking about conflict, he reminds us that we who trust in him, we are brothers and sisters. And this is a foundation for you when you have conflict and when you really are angry with each other and they've hurt you, is to remember that they are your brother or sister. Paul does the same thing in the, um, in, the, in the later letters of the Bible. There's a book of the Bible called Corinthians, which is about a, a group of Christians, a community of Christians, the church that is being torn apart by divisions, by some being jealous, some being overly proud, all of these things that are just destroying them. 38 times in that letter, he says, you are brothers and sisters. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I appeal to you. To agree, all of you, brothers and sisters. First Corinthians 3, he says, But I, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual because you're living in the flesh as infants in Christ while there's still jealousy and strife destroying you. You see, when we're not living as brothers and sisters, it's saying we're spiritually immature. Uh, some of you may have brothers and sisters. I remember when I was growing up... Um, I had a lot of, I have a younger sister, a lot of conflict with her, particularly because she was really tough, and she would beat me up a lot. Um, she would actually beat me up. 
And uh, I would go running to my mom and dad, and I would say, Mom, Dad, my sister Lindsay, she's beating me up. And you know what they would say? They'd say, well, she's your sister. You need to grow up and go deal with it. And eventually, that's what parents say to their kids, is that, look, you guys are brothers and sisters. You are old enough. You can deal with it. And this is the case with, with, for us, is that as we, you grow in Christian maturity, if you're a Christian, that, that you can work through the conflicts that you have with your brothers and sisters, and this is part of, of growing. Now, this is oftentimes easier said than it is done. Because we know that if, you are, if I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, we become a family. The, the, the thing that's so interesting about it is we come from such very different backgrounds. There are people from all kinds of backgrounds that become Christians and become family. Um, and some of you are very different, and some of you are very difficult. I mean, not Jonathan or me, we're not difficult, but some of you guys are difficult. But, but, but you're brought together in a family. I mean, you think about it this way. Jesus had 12 disciples. Two of them, one was named Matthew the tax collector, and the other was Simon the zealot. The tax collectors were working for the Roman Empire, and the zealots were working to overthrow the Roman Empire. And this was the background that they both came from. Very different views. Yet they come into the family. And some of that still comes with them, but they are brothers. And they have to work it out, even though it is difficult. Sometimes we would rather run, and sometimes we would rather fight. These are oftentimes the responses that we can have with our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we fake peace. Sometimes faking peace sounds really spiritual. Sometimes faking peace is, is like we say that everything's okay when it's not. And as Christians, we do this all the time. We think that we have to say that things are all good. We have to think that our, things are all good with our friendships, with each other. But that can be faking peace when you're not honest and realizing that there is conflict. Because if you have brothers and sisters, think about it in your own family. Do you guys ever fight with your brothers or sisters? Yes. You have conflict. And the rea- reality is that we, are, we still are sinners. And we struggle. And because of that, there will always, always be conflict in Christian community. And so we can't pretend that it's not there. Sometimes we want to run away. Sometimes we also want to fight. Right? Sometimes we just think that, you know, we got to put people into submission and tell them that they're wrong, 100%. The way the Bible talks about it when we have, when people have sinned against us is to restore them and work with them gently. How do you know you're not uh, breaking peace and fighting? It's restoring them, coming to them and dealing with it gently. This is how we don't fight. Oftentimes we want to run and sometimes we want to fight. And here's the question I'll I'll close with. How do you make peace? How do you make peace if you're a Christian with another Christian when you realize that you are part of the problem? How do you make peace when you realize that you are maybe 80% of the one at fault? When you are the one that was jealous? When you are the one that was envious? 
when you were the one that was a gossip, when you were the one that hurt the other person, how do you get up the courage to actually deal with it? I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in Guatemala, and I was uh, at this kid's birthday party, and we were doing piñatas, because that's what you do. And uh, at this particular birthday party, all of the adults had gone somewhere else. And the kids decided that they were going to uh, make me hit the piñata first. So they put the uh, bandana on my eyes, they covered it, they covered me around, they spin me around, they said, you can do it, Wero, go, Wero, go, Wero. And so I'm like, I'm going to whack this piñata. And I, I'm walking up to what I think is the piñata, and I wind up, and I whack really hard, and I whack really hard. And as I'm whacking, all of a sudden I hear, ah, ah. And I take the bandana off, and I realize that I had been hitting the birthday boy the whole time. <laughs> and I look, and I see this, this bat in my hand. The birthday boy is crying in a puddle on the ground. And one, some of the other kids are like looking at me like, how could you do this? You're a horrible person. Others are laughing at me. You see, what do you do? What do you do in your life when you realize that you are the one who is holding the stick, and you have been hitting other people? with your words, with your actions, what do you do? Do you do what I did and you run and you hide and you cower to your mommy because you can't deal with it? Or do you grab the piñata stick even harder and hit the kids who were mocking you? (laughs) These are our common responses. But the fact is there is another option. And is this, it is to realize that you are the one that is holding the bat. And that you realize that though it may get personal, if you are in Christ, it does not get to your identity. You can deal with it. You can accept the fact that you are the one holding the bat, that you are a sinner because you are a child of God. You are completely accepted in Him. And He says, you are my child and I love you so much. And though you sin, it does not define you. What it defines you is that you are my child. You are a child of God. And so you can accept it. You can realize that he, you are one for whom Christ has died. And these sins that you see so significantly in front of you, they're not defining you. So you can deal with the conflict. You can deal with your fault in the breaking of the peace, knowing that you have peace with God through Christ. This is the foundation through which you can make peace with others because your identity is founded upon this reality that you are a child of God and you are accepted in Him. Let us pray. Father, we come to You and we just thank You that You completely accept us that we have access to You, that we can rest in You. Even though we still sin. And we can do this because we know that Christ has died for us who trust in Him. Lord, I pray that this reality, that that these here at at RUF and in their community life here, that they would be strengthened in knowing their identity as Your children. That they are brothers and sisters that this would empower them to make peace with one another and through that to make peace with the world and with this campus. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.